Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... I didn't come out until I was 40. Really? Yeah. And it has really just been the last, well, when you do that, when you've lived a life, for me, it was a life of duplicity. I really, I wasn't bi. You know, I was pretending I was working for the Southern Baptist and I was, it was very conservative and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't bringing women to parties or functions, but people were assuming I was one way and I had to keep two lives going and it was when you live duplicitous like that when it the time it has taken me forever to become comfortable with myself you know to be I was out to tons of friends but really pride has and my schools the last two years have really really helped with my comfort level I was just thinking of that today that I am so much more me, so much more authentic. Um, I guess it's been happening over the last 20 years, but it has um, really, I feel like I've really come into my own the last two years and I appreciate Uh, this book helping me. It's Pride Month, June. What does Pride Month mean to you? To your friends, your family, your community? What do you feel when you see the rainbow flag on display? And do you know its history? Do you know that it's been flying for 40 years? This is the Children's Book Podcast number 442. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Rob Sanders is joining me on the show today. Rob writes picture books, and he's also a teacher. Rob wrote a book that I think is quite special, quite well-written, quite timely. And I think you're going to like it a whole lot, too. But before we get to that, please listen to a short message from our sponsors who helped to make today's episode possible. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Gallery Nucleus, an art gallery and bookstore where you can find books, prints, and other gifts from some of your favorite children's book illustrators like John Clausen, Christian Robinson, and more. From May 26th to June 10th, Caldecott-winning author and illustrator Dan Santat will have new original work on display. Can't make it to the show? Just go to gallerynucleus.com to view and purchase the work. Gallery Nucleus is offering listeners 15% off your next purchase by entering in the promo code WONDER18. Visit gallerynucleus.com to discover more or click on the Gallery Nucleus banner at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. 
The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators, and editors at Storyteller Academy. The team share... Our mission is to help aspiring storytellers learn the craft by sharing our creative process intimately. We believe everyone has a story to tell. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast are invited to a free mini class. Enroll today at www.storyteller.com wonder or click on the Storyteller Academy banner at matthewcwinner.com podcast. And now, please welcome my guest, Rob Sanders, and his newest picture book, Pride, the story of Harvey Milk and the Rainbow Flag. Welcome to the podcast, Rob Sanders. I I am glad to be talking to a fellow teacher and a man whose books I love. Thank you. It's great to be talking with you. Uh, a librarian, my savior on a daily basis at my school, my media specialist as we like to call them yep. where i work yeah we we are likewise called, now you're in florida we're in i'm in maryland we are also in my county at least called media specialist but i have such an affinity for the name for the school librarian title yeah. i love i we're gonna we're gonna reclaim that title we went away from that title because you know we really wanted to paint a picture of what we do we're we do technology and we do specialize and focus and we raise literacy but you know what Librarians have had a stigma. We're gonna we're gonna reclaim that stigma, bring back school librarian, that pride in school librarianship. I'm glad that you love your school librarian. That's a good and thing. No one calls it the media center. The kids all call it the library. Good. Thank <laughs> you. Good. Well, we are we are doing the right thing in education just at that level. And you um, well, let me, I'm going to stop because I know more about you than people listening probably at this moment. Um, Rob, do you mind introducing yourself to people listening so that they can get to know you better as well? Sure. I'm Rob Sanders. Hi, everybody. And I call myself a teacher who writes and a writer who teaches because I am a fourth grade language arts teacher. Um, as of for the last 15 years, I have a little bit of a, a a variety of things that I've done over the years. But for the last 15 years in, that I've lived in Florida, I've used my elementary ed degree, been teaching fourth grade. I've also worked as a writing resource teacher in schools. And for one very long year as a district writing resource teacher, I'm not a district kind of person. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> a classroom kind of person. So I'm glad to have my own class close my door have my own class library, my own group of students. And usually I'm partnered, of course, with a math science person. So I have actually two groups of kids I get to work with every day. Um, and I've been doing that. We are on, on summer vacation now. I so I'm clicking my heels. I am not. <laughs> clicking your heels. I, feel <sighs> I know. It's been, you know what, up in Maryland – We've had some ice. We've had some issues. We're still in school. Um, I will be sharing this podcast, actually, while we are still in school. <laughs> but um, I'm grateful to be talking to you um, and this book that we're here to talk about because it means that I am sharing this book with students because I'm still in school. So that's that's a that's if I can look at silver linings, I'm grateful to have this new 
book in my hands and share with them. So uh, let me say that you most recently are the author of Pride, the story of Harvey Milk and the Rainbow Flag, a gorgeous, gorgeous picture book illustrated by Stephen Salerno. Would you, Rob, like to introduce this book to to those that haven't read it yet? Yes, this is the first book, picture book, about the pride flag. There have been books about Harvey Milk, a few picture books. Most of them are not in print anymore. Um, But this is the first about the pride flag or the rainbow flag. And um, I call it a biography of the flag. So um, it has came out in April, which uh, in honor of pride, which is this month are we in june yet we're just one day away so it, month of june is pride month and the flag was created uh, actually on june 25th of 1978 so this is its 40th anniversary so the book is out just in time to help celebrate that also, we also have celebrated the anniversary of harvey's birthday and the passing of gilbert baker the designer of the flag during the month of May. So we've the book has been out and already had some wonderful reasons to be out in the world besides being in the hands of boys and girls and their families. I I am so glad that that you wrote this book the way that you did, that you saved space for the children reading it, for all readers, let's readers of all ages to to have space that they can ask questions that they can that that they can learn about Harvey that they can learn about this flag and in some cases if i just call it out um my students have uh, i'm this is my first year at this school and for all that i've brought up books i do not think they have had very many opportunities to read about characters who are gay, to read about LGBTQ issues and rights. And this book is written with such respect and such space that they that they were not only seeing themselves in this story, but but seeing other people that they knew and respecting the notion that that these rights, we talk about rights, and we talk about, um, you know, rights of, of, of minorities, and we talk about rights of uh, people with disabilities, and, and to have those be on conversation so much at this age of, of children, and to be introducing even more rights to them is such a, a special thing. And your book is such a special tool to share alongside that. So I guess, Rob, the words I'm stumbling around are just thank you because you've you've been there with me in my class as I've been sharing with teachers and with children this book. You're there with me. And I, I appreciate that we are doing this together. I thank you. That makes me emotional, I have to say, uh, to hear you say that. And, and I, I've had a little bit of a, of a um, journey with the book, even in my school, that while I have friends, I tried to, um, 
educators who are listening will understand this. I tried, I've been trying to create a conversation in my district about LGBTQ topics and issues. And so when I knew this book was coming out, I started talking to lots of people, supervisors in elementary education, principal, friends, um, reading coaches, librarians, and others, just to kind of get their sense about how do we present this book? How do we get this book to children? Because it is just like any other book about equality. So how do we get the book, make sure it's in the hands of boys and girls? And because I opened that conversation, it opened me and the book to more scrutiny than I usually experience when it comes to reading a book to my students. Um, now, other teachers didn't have that in my district, didn't have that same scrutiny because they were just doing what we always do. We open a book and we read it. We sandwich it in somehow to what we're learning about, or we read it for enjoyment or for the, the message that we're going to learn from it. But I went through a very long process to be able to read this book to my students in my classes. And what I discovered immediately when I was able to, and I was already hearing this from other teachers, is that kids got it. When one kid would say, you know, my... Well, I, at my church, they say that men marrying men aren't, isn't right. I didn't have to answer that question or that comment. It doesn't have to be answered anyway. That's your experience. That's your position or whatever you think. But other kids would say, but you know, I've got an uncle who's gay. My mom has a partner. Um, my, someone else said, my auntie does drag and I'm sitting there scratching my head uh, <laughs> does she does male impersonation drag you know she's a lesbian she has a partner and they picked up the conversation yes and just were able to talk about the normalcy that they see because it's part of their lives being gay or lesbian they have relatives and friends but then they would also start making comparisons because we've read a lot about of civil rights books this year. They could make those connections for themselves. They know about discrimination. And so they could equate that discrimination with the discrimination the gays were facing in San Francisco when Harvey and Gilbert came up with the idea for this flag. Yes. We, oh my word, this conversation is going to go all over the place, but I just need to bring, I can't, I can't talk about this book without talking about my children, without talking about my school. So would you mind if I shared a brief story, Rob? Please. Okay. So, so I'm at this school in Columbia, Maryland, uh, where, where I can feel that I'm, that people are listening that I have a message I want to share and that the kids are receptive to it, but that perhaps people haven't shared the message with them before. The message that I want you to see yourselves in this collection and that if I'm not showing you yourself and your experiences, all of you, my diverse 
group of students. If I'm not showing you that, I'm failing you. I need to show you. I need to show you these experiences. We uh, read a novel. My fifth graders, we, we did a, a book study, uh, a book club, and then invited the author to our school uh, of this new novel called Ghost Boys by Jill Parker Rhodes, which is about um, an African-American boy who is uh, shot and killed by a police officer. Um, and it turns out that uh, the police officer is a white police officer, that when the boy... Um, the story immediately breaks into two stories, one that's sort of reliving the event that happened leading up to the shooting, the day leading up to the shooting, and the other is the main character as a ghost. And the one person that can see and can hear him uh, is the daughter of the white police officer that shot him. Whoa. We read this book, and my population is about 70% African-American. And we experienced, the fifth grade team and I, that these children were really getting to face issues that are relevant to them in the context of, of an environment where we could talk. And we could talk as a community. We invited parents and teachers to talk with our fifth graders and with the author together about these experiences and, and address it and have real talk. Um, so when I introduced Pride to my students, I've read it to one class. And uh, then we did our summer reading kickoff this week. And we're, I have, I have uh, my students next week, my fourth and fifth graders will be reading this with me. Uh, this particular book with me. Um, but the one class that I read it to connected Harvey's assassination with mm. this boy's being shot by the police officer, with MLK, with all of these different things that they were bringing to the table. And, and there as well, I saw that power of them seeing that our world and specifically our country has a nasty history of trying to silence the people that are trying to stand up for the rights of others mm -hmm. and to have that conversation with a 10 year old, with a nine year old, uh, and to know that, to know that we as adults have two choices we can make. We can build an environment that, that prohibits these conversations, that shames these conversations, that uh, ignores, turns an eye to these conversations because we're afraid. We're afraid of what might come out. We're afraid of who might judge us for it. We're afraid of what um, kickback we might get from from uh, the, the, the people above us. We're, we're afraid. Um, we, we have that decision and we have, or, or the decision to sort of lean into it and work through it as a community and to acknowledge that this might get a little uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable just because we haven't talked about it before and because we need to find ways to understand each other and to respect each other as, as we seek to understand. Right. Um, I want you to know that I just want you to hear that, that your book has reached this small school in Maryland and that I can say firsthand that it's helping us to continue to have those conversations where we respect everyone, where we say there's space for everyone at the table. And my children, my students, and this is where the people listening, I really want you to listen up. 
that my children, fourth and fifth grade, have got into this nasty place of calling each other names. Names that I was called when I was a kid and my friends were called when they were kids. Because how easy it is for us to use uh, a term like gay as a derogatory term. To use it as an attack. Um, But that, in my school, our teachers are not only saying, are stopping those that language from being used, but are also meeting that language with conversation. Here is this book that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about that word so that it's not an unfamiliar word for you, or it's not just a word you throw at someone out of hate. Let's talk yeah. about what that word means, because when you know what it means, you're not going to use it again that way. You're going to understand and, and love and respect, hopefully, what that word means to other people, to their identity. So, so Rob, I'm not trying to put more weight on you, but man, your book, your book is like right time, right place. It is hitting all of those marks for me, for 650 kids at my school, and all of the teachers too. And I'm positive that we are not the only ones. So kudos to you and to Stephen for the art and to your publisher for making this book happen because it's important and it's part, it's part of such a larger conversation. I agree. And I have now, I've had the opportunity to do lots of events with this book in addition to being at my school with it. And I've now read it to audiences as young as five days old, believe it or not. Um, to 80 years old and um, including a group of um, two and three year olds at the Children's History Museum in New York City and who were enthralled with the colors of the rainbow. You know, that's the understanding. That's where they were. That's what they took away from the book. It's the beauty of picture books is that they have so many different levels that a little preschooler can look at the book and can see people dressed in the rainbow and waving a rainbow flag and be identifying the colors and feel a connection that way. And then kids who are in elementary school, like we teach, who can start making connections to their life, connection with other texts. And then teenagers like I've spoken with which is scares me to death anytime I'm around middle school students but they've been so receptive of this book and so um, they were ready to apply it personally you know in their coming out journeys or in being a, an ally for a friend who's coming out it's just been remarkable to see how different age groups take different messages, different parts of the book. And you also mentioned where they want to dig in deeper, learn more about. So what were the rights? What were the laws? What were, what was going on um, during this time period? It's just incredible to watch how people will take a book, any book, but this book in particular, and make it, their own, find their own meaning from what they're reading. Yes. 
you know, in in Stevens' illustrations, there's a couple. I mean, his his art does a lot of work in this book, which is good when you have, you know, the 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 space of a picture book. You've got all that real estate that that your words can do their work and can carry the story and his art can carry as well. There's so much space you both cover through that. Um, but what I want to read, if you don't mind, if I read an, a, a part to you, um, would that be okay, Rob? Yes, please. I want to read in the beginning because when I read this book to this class, I realized this was probably the first time I ever read the word gay mm-hmm. to them. And that stopped me for a second. I thought, that's funny. I take for granted that it's just not a word they've heard a lot. Um, sort of like we were doing a, um, I'm full of tangents today. We were doing a, um, a diversity audit of our scholastic book fair. How about that? We were going through Lee and Loa publisher, uh, published this great uh, blog post about doing a diversity audit in your classroom library to see how, how well you're representing all different cultures and voices. So we were doing a diversity audit at the Scholastic Book Fair. And um, this is early in the year. And my students, um, I, I said on this chart, we're going to mark uh, every time that we count a person of color represented on the cover of a book. Uh, because that's all we can go by with a flyer. We can't read every book. So we we know the limitations, but we're covering a book, person of color, or if the characters on the cover are white, um, among mm. other questions that we did. And I realized that for many of my students, that was the first time or an uncomfortable time uh, for them to realize that 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 it's okay to call yourself white. If I could say it that way, it was the most unusual thing that I said. My a number of my African American students said, "Mr. Winter, that's racist. What's racist? Mm. You're calling yourself white. That's racist." And I said, "Well, now hold on a second. We need to unpack that uh, because what, what we're talking about there is just—it's a lot more, isn't it, than just than what they were just saying? Uh, and maybe it's because of what's." Uh, their background, what their family has experienced, what what the color of their skin means, and what what uh, prejudice they perhaps have have been subject to because of it or not. So, to, so I don't take for granted that when you mention when you when you read the word gay in a book, if a child has not read that word a lot, it's gonna stop them the same way <laughs> that reading the word white it might stop them because they just we've sort of stigmatized it, right? So it's on this page that that already we see how expansive you and, and Stephen have made this book. You write, um, Harvey dreamed that everyone, even gay people, would have equality. He dreamed that he and his friends would be treated like everyone else. He dreamed that one day people would be able to live and love as they pleased. And that was three simple lines are paired with an illustration of uh, two gentlemen on a tandem bicycle with a banner uh, and cans tied to the back of the bicycle. The banner reads, Just Married. And so I feel like right there, the art and those words, you're carrying the message together. 
we don't need to necessarily stop for the kids that are, what does gay mean? What's that mean? Uh, for a kid that doesn't know, we can say, well, let's look at the picture. Let's try to guess what it means. What do you think? What do you predict? Or what does your experience say? It doesn't surprise me that you've read this book to five days old or 80 years old, Rob, because this book has enough space for any kid to come in and to ask questions and to be able to find understandings through a, a, a venue that's, that's respectful, but also honest. Thanks. I, I love that illustration. I wasn't sold on that illustration when I first saw the sketches because I didn't get it. Um, but when I finally saw it in the book, I understood, you know, that this is Harvey's dream. And it's even in sepia tones. Yeah. It leaves the colorful look of the rest of the book. It's in sepia tones because it's like the dream of what he is hoping will happen one day. And thank you for reading those three lines. They occur, I think, three different times in the book, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And the verb changes each time um, from dream to hope to ask to demand. I guess it's four times um, as what we're asking for as a community changed over time. We weren't just asking politely after a while. We started demanding rights. Can I add one quick thing? Because I it's popped into my head twice. I would love for you to. Go ahead. No, it's I. You are so right about the word gay, and uh, really, whenever I have this conversations, because I've had kids misuse the word uh, quite a bit this year. Uh, my principal even said to a parent who said, "Should we be talking about gay things?" I'm not sure that my fourth grader knows about gay things. In my the, my principal said, "Well, he knows to call someone that that name when he wants to hurt their feelings." Yes, That's wow. very insightful thing to say and brave thing he say. knows to call someone that when he wants to hurt their feelings wow yeah so maybe you don't have a, an understanding of the word but you know that it can be offensive so that's even more reason to teach what the word means but the thing that's popped into my head a couple of times was when you've said you said that first time we've seen the word in a book for most kids but we have so many books in our library that are about lesbian and gays. Absolutely. <laughs> Sally Ride, Langston Hughes, you know, the uh, Richard Blanco, the poet Richard Blanco, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but those things are left out. Their sexuality is left out of the book. And some people have argued with me, well, we don't put sexuality in people's sexuality in other books well yeah you do when you read about ruth bader ginsburg you always we always read about her husband we always read about she got married she had children mm. and that it we have deliberately left out intentionally left out the sexuality of some early uh, some of our early heroes people we might be reading about perhaps because they weren't out in the way that people are out today. Um, but still, they were lesbians and or gays. and Or we may have some books about folks who are transgender. I'd have to think about that a little bit harder. Um, 
But my point is that maybe there's even opportunity to be making those connections for kids as they read other books that, you know, among other things, Langston Hughes was an African-American and um, a loner of a kid who had to grow up, grow up on his own and traveled the world and a college grad and a poet and gay and that we list that just like we do everything else about a character that we're reading about in in a nonfiction book. Just a thought. Yeah, I think that I think also that it it just it's it's just bigger. Do you know? Like being gay or being a lesbian or being transgender or being pansexual or bisexual it it's sexual identity is is bigger than than confining it to this person was married or not um and i i i think again it comes back to when i when i was sharing with my teachers who were all so receptive about about sharing whatever book we're reading um sparkle boy by leslie newman we're reading um pride here we're reading there's a number of books that we're reading uh that i'll be reading with the students and also talking about pride month with them because we're still in school um but i also have been talking about you know when we when we don't talk about this then we're sort of instilling that there's something shameful about it we're not supposed to talk about it we're not supposed to bring it up and that's just not the case and we don't want to give that impression to children that that's not the case uh, nor do we want to give the impression that there are more important things to talk about because what's more important than seeing yourself and your identity and your experiences in others and especially in the safe confines of a book where mm. you can see yourself and ask questions and revisit and and it can be your time and your space to find comfort in whatever that connection is, spoken or unspoken. Yeah. And thanks for mis- mentioning Leslie and Newman, who is a hero. <laughs> the greatest. They, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> folks may not realize there there's tons of fiction books that are LGBTQ friendly and that are more than just friendly. They are about LGBTQ issues uh, without hitting you over the head about it. Um, there are fewer nonfiction, but there's a great number of fiction books. Um, and Leslie is the queen of that. I don't know that she would like me calling her a queen. Um, but nonetheless, and has been doing this for years. See, has I, been writing these books for years. I was waiting for you to say that there are a ton of these books and Leslie has written half of them. <laughs> well, that's probably true. <laughs> She's quite prolific in that sense. In my, in my big bins of books in my office she's got quite a few yeah she and gail Pittman. gail Pittman too yeah oh yeah i know oh. that name yeah i both wonderful yeah. wonderful authors i'll make sure that i include a link to uh, a, a list with a lot of her books on it that'll be good for those educators that are looking for more books that are looking for those books that aren't as you're saying the the hit you over the head books but this, the the books that have space and that that mm-hmm. have 
have you know multitudes i love that this is a book as you're saying this is this book that, that we're talking about with you is every bit as much about equality and about your voice and the power your voice can have and your ability to see a space in your world to make change or to advocate and then doing it um, it's as much about that as it is also about about pride and about the fact that this is that 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 this is a book that that speaks to those rights of someone that might not be like you if you have um, heterosexual parents or if you uh, identify as heterosexual at that age. I also, I, we, we keep going back to my kid. Cause man, let me just tell you, uh, whenever we're on this podcast or maybe just whenever I am picturing my students <laughs> all the time. And there is not a librarian listening to this. If there are librarians listening, there is not a librarian listening to this that can't tell me that they haven't had at least one child this year, any grade level, you know, elementary or middle or high, you can't tell me you haven't had at least one kid this year that that you've seen questioning. I have had a large handful of children that I have seen questioning their identity, specifically their sexual identity. And they're doing it in the context of being eight or 10. So it looks different from perhaps it looks different than an adult, but you can still see that they're questioning and you see it more when you provide a safe space for them to question and to wonder and to look through different books that may allow them to have that safe space to explore. So, uh, I don't know where I was going that with that, but I'm just saying and, there are and, children. Yeah. <laughs> and gender as well. Gender as well. Anna, um, I think, in the last three years, we've had four children who are somewhere on the spectrum of beginning to question their gender yes. identity. And we are a real, normal, kind of average, run-of-the-mill school. By that, I mean, we're, we're A, we're in a low-middle-class area. We're a Title I school. We're about evenly split. Hispanic, um, African American, and white students, um, and in this, and we're pretty much a neighborhood school. We have one bus. Everyone else is from this subdivision, that used to be a more affluent subdivision than it is now. Within that little neighborhood, we've so far we, in the last three years, have had four students who have been dealing with gender I that's just remarkable to me it's just remarkable we and I can speak to the same Rob I'm in I mean almost you almost described my school uh in that a title one school in in, in neighborhood school and all that and we um I've only been here for a year and I'm aware of two students who have that's just the ones that I'm aware of because of of teachers uh guidance counselors talking to me and things like that mm. of two students who are at what uh, different stages of, of questioning or processing wh how they identify in their gender. Yes. Yeah, it's That's, remarkable. Isn't it? 
we yeah i don't know i think perhaps also what is remarkable is that we are we are that that schools are continuing to grow and to make space for all of our children and i know that there are some places that are, are have a, a a longer way to go than others we all have a, a ways to go but um but i see it as as you know all of us in this school if we are all working if we all share that value of loving and valuing our children for who they are for who their families are of seeing that we don't just educate students that walk into our building from you know 8 a.m to 3 p.m and then they leave there are lives that we are working with here and we have a responsibility to see them and to care for them and to make space for them and uh and their parents and their parent please yes in in the i've been in florida in this district and teaching for 15 years now my degrees are from 100 years ago so when i came (laughs) when i started teaching you know the world of children hadn't changed as much as the world of education had changed um but in those 15 years i've had off and on gay parents but it has only been within the last couple of years that i've had parents who were openly gay who would come to together to open house who would come together to parent teacher meetings and we have to be sensitive and helpful on that level too because that could open a child up by their parents being open and honest that could open the child up to being uh, bullied or having problems so we need to protect the parents and the students and provide that environment that open environment that you're talking about for everybody can i just tell you i realize we haven't talked a whole heck of a lot about your book but i am just so elated to sit here with an educator and talk about our kids i have really enjoyed that rob i just need to say i need to stop and call that out i really like that thank you for thank for that um i want to respect our time i know we're getting close to a time to wrap up um but i i want to ask you just is there anything that we haven't talked about with the book yet that you want to make sure that people know about that you want to that you want to express whether about the process of getting the book made or sold or your inspiration to write it anything like that what what do you want to make sure that that uh listeners of all types uh hear about about this book well you already hit on the thing i was i'm going to say and that's about the inspiration for good. this book good 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 let me hear uh, it the there's an illustration near the back of the book um and there's a photo of the, this illust- that was the inspiration for the illustration in the very back of the book. And that's the white house washed in the colors of the rainbow flag. White house. Yes. And was on uh, June 26th of 2015. And most folks might not know what that date was, but that was the date of the Supreme court decision about marriage equality. 
And that night, the White House and landmarks around the world were washed in the colors of the rainbow flag. I will say a quick aside that I have been in contact with the person. I just imagine that that just happened, like hanging your Christmas lights or something. <laughs> it was much more involved than that. Uh, you just don't like the White House in rainbow colors. And I, I've met, <laughs> been speaking with the person who did that, um, Jeff Tiller, who is a, a young person working in the White House, the LGBTQ liaison in communications for the White House. And so I've, I've talked with him on a couple of occasions about that and interviewing him for a possible book about that. Um, but that night, as I watched, of course, I'd watched the, the decision and the celebrations going on around the world from my home here in Florida. And that night when I saw the White House in the colors of the rainbow flag, it was like everything that you never thought would happen in your life happened that day. Marriage equality, a president, I mean, the flag was raised above the White House, which means the president is there. Um, the White House in the rainbow colors. It was just an unbelievable moment. And I wrote, my editor hates when I tell this, but I wrote this, <laughs> the first draft of the story that night. I didn't do any research the, for the first draft. It was a heart book. I knew about Harvey. I knew about Gilbert a little. I knew about the flag. I knew some things. And so the first draft I wrote that night, of course, I had to get serious about research after that. But it really was a heart response to what was going on in my world. And it was a book of celebration. Um, as we were going through, it was delayed a, a year because we wanted Stephen. And it was hard to get on Stephen's schedule to illustrate it. And so it was delayed a year. And it was Gilbert Baker, the designer of the flag, who told my editor, oh, well, that's great. It's delayed till 2018. That's the 40th anniversary. Well, my editor and I are word people, obviously not number people, because we hadn't figured that out for ourselves. But it was <laughs> wonderful that you know, coming out for the 40th anniversary. Yeah. But the celeb as we've worked on the book and as it's come out, the world changed a lot. Um, there was an election. There were things that went on in our world. Yeah. And as a gay person this book now is a book of necessity to me, not a book of celebration. That it's a book that kids have to know this history because there's a chance that they wouldn't know this history unless they're told it. As a matter of fact, I've met lots of gay and lesbian other folks in the community, in their folks who are in their 20s, who know nothing about the origin of the pride flag, who never heard the word Harvey Milk, even though there was a movie about him, and has never heard about Gilbert Baker. So even our own community, let alone our kids that we're, we are raising, that we've been talking about, our own community needed to know and be reminded of this history, to celebrate it and to honor it and to continue the legacy of these two men these two activists oh cool it went from celebration to necessity i love that i i think 
I mean, I think not only is this the right time for the book, but I said at the top of the podcast, I truly think this is a gorgeous book. It is such an exceptionally beautiful book. Stephen's art, for those that aren't familiar with his work, he does such a great job of of capturing likeness of people. Mm But he also has such a beautiful handle on color. And one detail I particularly enjoyed about his illustrations throughout was that paisley design that was in the back, sort of like a, almost like a watermark behind all of the art or just about every page. It was always there. Even there's one or two pages where it was really hard to tell, but it was still there. And I just, Mm -hmm. I just liked that. There were just details throughout like that that he. He added a flair and a style and an attention to the, the art that allowed allowed you to stay awake, to stay focused, to stay listening. Each page has something to say. Don't lose focus. Mm. I just thought that that quality, I mean, it was, it was great. The whole thing is just front to back. I just, uh, I'm so grateful. I'm so yeah. grateful to you. Uh, again, and to, to Stephen and to to the publishers for making this happen. Random House, they're wonderful. As a matter of fact, can I just say what's coming out next April? Next April, that is not long away. Tell me. Well, there there are things coming out even between now and then, but um, including a book called Peaceful Fights for Equal Rights, which comes out this fall from Simon and Schuster, uh, which is a just a lyrical listing of ways to protest um written in alphabetical order but it's not an abc book if that makes any sense um but coming next april from my same publisher at random house is stonewall when the subtitle is a building an uprising a revolution and it's the first picture book about the stonewall uprising yes which um was not the beginning of the gay rights movement, but it was a significant turn in the the gay rights movement in modern days. And um, we, most of us in the community, look back to that and still look at Stonewall as kind of a the the center of our community and the center of our history. And so that is coming out, and it's told from the perspective of the buildings, yes. which have for over a hundred years and. First a horse stable, then a bakery and restaurant, maybe a speakeasy, just saying. Um, <laughs> eventually a gay nightclub. Um, but it's a really, really wonderful book illustrated by Jamie Kristoff, who's also a fabulous illustrator. And you just feel like you're moving through history as you turn each page from one era to the next book about a building man i said so you must have been your publicist someone mentioned that because i remember thinking how how are we here it's so great and rob it's you you are one of the voices helping to bring these stories these stories in front of kids it's awesome i admire you i look up to you and may there be more voices may yes. there be- yeah well uh on that note on that note let us please turn to a final question and your voice to the readers. I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Rob, is there a message that I can bring to them from you? 
Yes. And it, uh, yes, it will be more than you'll have to distill it down because it will be more than nobody want to hear at one setting. probably. <laughs> but um, I would say and I say to my students, read wide, read deep. Um, whenever you can get lost in books and let them transport you. Read as many genres as you can. Read things you like and things you've never read before. Use fiction and nonfiction to help you know yourself and help you learn about others. That's my big, big, big takeaway. Um, that books have the power to let you see that you fit into the world. You're not alone. And there are others just like you. But just as importantly, books have the power to let you see others and appreciate them and accept them and understand them. So, final sentence. This might be the one that they'll get. Books can help you know and love yourself. And books can help you have a heart for others. Hi there, this is Haley Barrett, author of Baby Moon, What Miss Mitchell Saw, and Girl vs. Squirrel. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.